Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba and enters into the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Ongeri to Onglaim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water that flows, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So in summary, the water that began as a trickle from the temple of God becomes a mighty river, and every dead thing that the river touches comes to life. The power of the river healed the land. Creation that had not borne fruit began to bear lasting, eternal fruit. This passage is an amazing picture of what the power of the Spirit of God has the potential to do when released into the earth. Um, Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking closely at um, the different water levels that we read about from verses 2 to 5, but through the lens of vision, because we believe that there is a manifestation of God's Spirit uh, that He wants to release into our community and into our world through His amazing vision for your life and also His vision for our church. Okay, cool. So, First stage that I'm going to cover today is the trickle mentioned in verse 2. And I read again, then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate uh, that faces toward the east. Key Key words, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. I want to start off by saying God is a visionary. God stands in the light of eternity. He sees it all. He sees the whole timeline of time. And not only is God a visionary, but just as we saw with Ezekiel, God gives vision for the purpose of bringing hope to a broken people. Um, He sees the devastation. He sees the loss. His heart aches. And he creates a plan. And I know we've all been in this state personally, and to be honest, some of us might be there right now, just in that place of utter devastation. Um, And maybe it doesn't even look like it on the outside, but deep in your soul, you know that's where you are. And I just want to say today that God sees and God cares and God longs to reveal himself to you, and it starts with the trickle of his Holy Spirit. The word trickle 
means to drop down. So I believe that God himself releases his spirit to drop down into our spirit, his nature, a sense of the truth of who he is long before we've ever recognized that he's at work in us. I'll give you a few examples. Um, The trickle came to me uh, after my parents separated. It was a devastating time. Um, My dad's best friend, Barry, was a born-again Christian who took us in, and he started taking us along to a church much like this one. And I really think that that faith-filled friendship was a lifeline for my father. And as a result, he would regularly gather us girls together around in a circle of prayer and point our broken hearts to God. And um, as he prayed, he would declare over us, if God is for us, who can be against us? A trickle of God's sovereignty and that he was on our side. A trickle came again um, through my, when my auntie and uncle, who were pastors, took us in. Everyone was taking us in. Um, And before school, every morning, they would gather us all for a family devotion with all of my cousins. And we would sit around. They would lead us in a worship song, open the scriptures, read from it, and send us off to school with an encouragement about God's love for us. A trickle of God's loving kindness. And then the trickle came through the most unexpected way with this phrase that my dad used to repeat to me in my teens, dream big. That's what he used to say, even while standing in the rubble of more devastations um, as we got older, he would just continue to encourage me to dream big. He would say, forget about the boys, dream big, travel the world. Um, (laughs) I took him literally. God is going to do something awesome with your life. Um, And that was a trickle that God had a purpose for me. I want to present this idea to us today, that the trickle is God's gentle pursuit of us in our devastations. Genesis 1-2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. God is present in the void. Someone needs to hear that today, that God is present in the void and that he is hovering over you. And if you're there right now, hang on for dear life. Uh, Call upon Jesus. Cling to Jesus. I promise you he will reveal himself to you. And I also pray that just throughout this week as you're going about your day, that the Holy Spirit would just kind of remind you of how his trickle has appeared to you and your brokenness, that it might cause your heart to just fill with gratitude all over again and and acknowledge him and give him praise for how good he is. Okay, now the game changer. Getting sick of this water. Beyond the trickle, I love that Ezekiel 47 opens up with these words. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, the water was trickling. This is the moment when our faces that were covered with darkness, covered with the devastations of life, begin to see the light. Just as it was, I just read about the spirit hovering over the face of the darkness, but then Genesis 1-3 says, God said, let there be light. It happens at the door of the temple. Um, Just for those of you that might not know too much about the divine design of the Bible, um, 
The Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come in the New Testament. The Old Testament hints at what's to come in the New, and it's Jesus that fulfills it. And I just want to present this idea. As I was looking over Ezekiel, and I was seeing the devastation of the, um, the, the, how the enemy came in and destroyed the old temple and left behind devastation and hopelessness, but God had a vision for a new temple that he was going to put his spirit inside, That's a picture of us. We are that temple. God wanted to put that temple in us and fill it with his spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And my favorite, Revelations 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The door of the temple. When we open the door of our hearts to Jesus, we become a new temple on the inside that he fills with his spirit and our spiritual eyes are open to see the trickle for what it always was, God's loving presence gently and patiently drawing us towards himself. I opened the door of my heart to Jesus at 26, stepped into this church and came in and the water of God was not just trickling out, it was issuing out. Um, And I was just flooded with a sense of God's divine presence. And from that moment on, I just couldn't get enough. It was just more water, more water. And I remember I was thinking back to those early days, the, the first year, every Sunday, I'm up the front with my pad and pen, trying so hard to keep up with the speaker because I'm trying to record the sermon word for word um, as it's being spoken. The very first thing I would do when I got home was type out the whole sermon. Type it out, color code it, print a copy to carry around with me, and then print a copy to file alphabetically and according to theme. Where are my OCDs? Any other OCDs here apart from me and Weens? Um, But yeah, that's what it was like for me in those early days. You know, when you've been thirsty for truth for so long and then you finally taste living water, you just can't get enough. Quickly, I signed up to our Bible leadership college that we had at the time. Uh, Diana shared her testimony a couple of weeks ago just like her, easily my favorite night of the week. Why? More water, more truth, more spirit, more Jesus. Um, And by the way, watch the space because we are excited to plan rolling this out for you next year. Um, Please pray for Malaya and the team working so hard. to. It's a mammoth task to pull this together, but it's worth it to see people walk out God's vision uh, for their lives. But yeah, I'm really just sharing this all to say that God's water began to issue out of my own life. Um, And the next thing I knew, I was standing tall in my newfound identity in Christ. And I looked down to see that I am now ankle deep in the river of God. Our next point. Verse 3 of Ezekiel 47 With a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. So if 
trickle, the trickle stage is about God's gentle pursuit of us. I want to present that the ankle deep stage is us pursuing God right back with our whole hearts, walking, moving those ankles in obedience to his word. Um, and this relational dynamic with God of God pursuing us and us pursuing him with our whole hearts um, and with a desire to be obedient is what creates intimacy. Quite honestly, there's no uh, relationship on earth that compares to it when you have a holy God that knows you like no other, that loves you like no other, and then you have a thirsty, a surrendered soul coming together. It's fire. And um, it's out of that intimate relationship with God that he will begin to birth the vision that he has for your life, that he has long desired and planned to bring forth from you. Um, if you've ever wondered, how can I know God's ultimate purpose for my life? It is found in that secret place of intimacy. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. So many people stop at, ele- at verse 11, but you have to keep reading. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. This happened to me um, two years after making a decision for Christ. I was in a hotel room in the Philippines. I was there for a campus conference. And I just remember being awoken in the early hours of the morning and I'm just feeling this really strong pull, this strong tug in my heart towards God. So I just sat up to pray. And after a time of prayer, that time of prayer turned into worship. And then it turned into a deeper kind of prayer and then the ugly cry um, kind of prayer. And it was just an intimate, holy space. And I just remember in that moment just uh, surrendering the totality of my life to God all over again. I just said, Lord, like you've got my whole heart. You've got my whole life. I am yours. What do you dream of doing with it? And then I heard the whisper. I heard uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit in a way that I'd never experienced before. And he said, turn to the book of Habakkuk 2. And so I did. And the very first words I read was, write the vision and make it plain that he who runs may read it. I had no idea what the vision was at the time, but to be honest, it didn't even matter. I just knew that this was my word from my God uh, for me. Uh, Matthew 6, oh, yes, my, my word from my God. I just want to say that God's vision uh, for your life is found in seeking him and not seeking vision. Um, and God's vision for your life will be revealed to you in your complete surrender. Matthew six thirty three. but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So that was the beginning of my, my intimate journey with God in a new way and being led through his waters. It was also the beginning of my journey as um, a visionary. Now, because we're talking about vision throughout this whole series, just personally, the problem with being someone like me, visionary, dreamer, is that you just have big ideas coming out of your ears, like 
There's no shortage of it. But God has shown me something so profound over the last 16 years that I wanted to share with you guys about having a God-given vision and how to bring the thing to life. The best thing that you can do with your prized vision or your prized dream is to let it go. You will never hear this out there. You will never hear that in the world where, in a dog-eat-dog world where it's all about the grind, it's all about getting ahead, it's all about working yourself up into a frenzy to just reach that high thing. God's kingdom is different. God's kingdom is completely different. And I don't mean give up all hope on life and storm out of the throne room <laughs> of God, Pepsi, no. Um, the last thing I want to do is be a dream killer today. I'm, I'm the biggest advocate. I'll be your biggest champion if you have a God dream in your heart. But I'm just talking about surrender and living in that, that tension of faith. Um, it's the best thing that you can do for your dream. Lay that prized thing on the altar and trust God um, to bring that forth if it is his perfect will trust his wisdom, um, and trust his sovereignty, just the way Abraham did with Isaac, just the way God did with Jesus. Let that thing die, go into the ground, and put your full confidence in the resurrector. That's not a word, but today it is. <laughs> um, and here's why. John 12, 24, I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Guys, God wants to produce a mighty harvest of, of blessing from your life. But, and I've had to learn it for myself, that a God-given vision is not just for you, a single seed. It's not even for a single generation. I remember sitting at my desk at TVNZ. I had these grand plans of how I was just going to change the industry for God, uh, change it in my generation. I was like, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. And then I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit. There's a better way. huh? There's a better way. Um, and then the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, do you want to make a dent in the spirit and just impact your generation, or do you want to penetrate? Do you want to go forward into other generations? And so I had to trust God and walk away from, from something that was really dear to me at the time. God wants our dreams to benefit many, many uh, for us to bear much fruit and fruit that will remain for many generations. Um, and the seed has to go into the ground to die majority of the time because God just needs to work on us. Um, and that's the truth of it. Uh, dreams and visions are not about us. They are, are about God's eternal kingdom. And you might ask yourself, why the kingdom of God? Um, but this is just a, some, something so key that when the kingdom of heaven is the goal, the implication is a generational impact on earth. God is a visionary that is always thinking generationally. And I believe in this season, in this hour for us, that God is imploring us to think the same. Um, 
Yeah, an amazing thing for me, an amazing find in this Ezekiel 47 passage as I was reading through it, reading through the increasing water levels. What actually stuck out to me was the particular measurement that the angel was measuring uh, between each stage of the river, from ankle deep to knee deep, 1,000 cubits, from knee deep to waist deep, 1,000 cubits. It was just continuous through the whole thing. So I asked God why. Because nothing about the word of God was written haphazardly or carelessly. Um, The whole word is inspired by God, exquisite, masterful, and intentional about every single detail. So don't glide over stuff that you read. Actually ask God about it. I found uh, while looking into it that 1,000, when the number 1,000 is mentioned in the Bible, it symbolizes multitudes. And early church fathers saw in the number 1,000 the totality of generations. So I feel like just this whole picture of Ezekiel 47, um, that God is just showing us he's wanting to release the river of his spirit in us and through us um, in a greater way than never before, but to never, ever forget that it is about the generations. Uh, Exodus 20, verses 5 to 6. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But watch this. But showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Showing love to a thousand generations. That's God's heart for us today. I've been in this church for a while. I feel like a dinosaur. <laughs> been in this church from the beginning, been through all the seasons, and, um, but I've just never felt this excitement and this anticipation deep in my spirit before that, church, this is our time. This is our time, and God is wanting to shift the paradigms of our thinking and our dreaming. Uh, God is wanting to, God is wanting for us to not just dream bigger, but dream better, Um, And also, God is wanting us to rise up, to rise up, warriors of God. Um, Man, while I was praying this week, the Holy Spirit just spoke to to me something... um, the, the, the sound cloud of apathy, not just the cloud of apathy, but the sound cloud of apathy. It's the kind of sound that speaks to you and just tells you, you're never going to be enough. You're really blowing it. You, you kind of were on your way to being a warrior before, but not, not anymore. Um, you know, just, just words of death, and that's the enemy. Like Jesus, Jesus would say, behold, I make all things new. And if that's you today, I just want you to just receive that in your spirit, that um, God is calling you out today in Jesus' name. And um, just as Ulu, I love that Ulu referred to it before about just a, a synergy going on here. I remember when I first came into the, the, well, I was just sort of visiting the church and just trying to suss, suss, what, suss out these people. And I remember sitting with one of the um, girls over lunch, and I just said to her, like, you guys are kind of weird. Like, wh- what's this? You know, you, the guys are, you guys are so happy and so nice to each other, so joyful. There's so much love. Like, you, you, can, you, can, you know when you've grown up dysfunctional way because that looks weird. Um, and I, you know, I just said to her, like, what, what is this? And she just goes, well, you know, it's kind of like we're an army, 
and we're linked arm in arm. And, you know, if you come in and you join us, we'll never let you go. And there was just something in my heart that I was like, oh, I want to I be in that army. I want to be in that family. Um, and so, you know, you belong here and we want you to, to go with us. We're, God is moving us forward and we want you to move forward with us. Um, yeah. So rise up, warriors of God. Um, you know, lastly, lastly, I just wanted to share a personal testimony of someone in my own um, family line many generations ago that made a profound eternal impact on my life that I look forward to meeting one day. And it's a story that I learned about just a couple of years ago. Um, my father comes from a small island nation called Tokelau. Uh, made up of three atolls, the whole nation measures, measures just four square miles, compared to Samoa's 1,097 square miles. It's tiny. The estimated population is like 1,500 people. But more than 100 years ago, my great-grandfather, up, up, up the line, um, was the king of Tokelau, and his name was King Lika. And back then, idolatry was just the way of life. He would regularly call the island to come together, um, gather around a stone idol, bring their mats, and they would worship it. Um, sometime later, European uh, missionaries brought the gospel to our small island nation. And initially, he didn't receive it. It took a few hearings from him, but ultimately, he surrendered his heart to Jesus. And as a result, he became the last king of Tokelau because he ended the monarchy that day, declaring that Jesus is the only king of kings. Um, and the island's mantra, if you look it up on Google, uh, it's called Tokelau Moteatua, which means Tokelau belongs to God. Over the years of walking with God and dreaming big, I've constantly heard this voice just echo to my spirit, lay your life and your gifts on the altar for the king. And after I learned the story about my great-grandfather, I realized why. I realized that it was because he had done this seven generations ago. I believe that he prayed for the seed that was going to come from his line to have the same kind of conviction. Uh, I believe that his devotion to God and his bravery to make a stand for Jesus and change his nation has trickled down to me in 2019. And so I just, even now, the very notion of me being able to impact someone else in my family line seven generations from now, it's actually an easy thing to grasp because I can see how my life has been impacted by someone. Um, in closing, I just wanted to share a poem that I wrote to capture this piece of history um, and to keep this testimony in my family for generations to come. But I want to share it with you today in the hopes that, um, yeah, in the hopes that you might be able to envision for yourself one of your great grandchildren, seven generations from now, rising up to declare a testimony about how your kingdom vision and your faith has made a difference in their lives and in their faith. In Jesus' name. I come from the land of chiefs, from whakaofotoned reefs crowned by the deep blue dignified seas of a destined people, destined 
But back then still hadn't yet arrived at God's destination, lost at sea, carried away by the winds and waves of their idols. Those were much darker days before the Malama Lama came. I am seventh generation seed of Aliki Lika, a shoot of wonder planted deep in the soil of my great-grandfather's legend, discovering my roots and legend has it. I'm not just the daughter of a fisherman, I'm a princess. Once upon a time, my people were founded on a monarchy and blood was king. 165 years on from his reign and I'm just beginning to see the silver lining of a blessed history, the clouds of revelation of fresh water to me. How the king once worshipped the land and sea, praising the earth for yielding him food while starving the Lumanaki of a greater harvest. How the king who commanded the village to wrap their mats and their hearts around a stone would later himself have a change of heart. How 10,000 miles away from our humble shores, the gospel adorned Balalangi feet and boarded a vessel for four square miles of atoll, crossing oceans and borders in a crossword fashion from the United Kingdom to the United Islands of the South. How in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, wrapped up in the message that has always been on a mission to us. The Spirit of God was rising, calling to the land of the beloved North Wind. But King Ligar denied it. But the Christ was twice refused. Third time, but this time it was more than luck, it was destiny. The waves of times past surrendered. The king cast his crown at the feet of the rock of ages and rewrote the pages of our story. One man's decision can turn the tide for generations. Seven generations later and my heart was turning on itself, serving two masters lost at sea. Dead bones caught in a rip of unbelief and crying out, who am I? Where am I from? Why am I here? The God of creation mastered my rebellious waves until I was still enough to see him walking on the waters towards me. The Father extended the Son of His right hand, and when one stroke, Christ breathed. The cross has been talking to me ever since. Daily He asks for my crown, my heart, my sound is found. I'm found, I've found the kingdom in His voice, the pearl of great price, and I'm sold. Like the true mother of pearl, the love of the Father fit where something was always missing. Like Christ was missing until he came, and we stay missing until we come. So come, ye lost at sea, to the story and song of our salvation, to the message that reached our forefathers, to the word that made them free, to the King of kings who is risen above our land and seas, to the voice calling forth the next generation. Let us pray.